What's up, people? Another episode of Just for Sport with Jamoke here with you. I hope you're doing well. You had a good Memorial Day weekend of reflection for our veterans. A little vacation, a little family time. Maybe you went to a sporting event. Whatever you did, I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And I am ready and locked in for what should be a spectacular, spectacular NBA Finals. And we'll get to that. And we're talking about NBA Finals and winning. I finally finished winning time. And I've got some thoughts on the show centered around the Los Angeles Lakers and rookie Irvin. Magic Johnson. And I also want to talk about um, the new uh, show, ABC News. Nightline did an interview with Leah Thompson, University of Pennsylvania swimmer. She was uh, responding to critics about her being allowed to swim as a transgender woman. Now I got some thoughts on that. And baseball. I got a chance to see the Angels coming up. I got a chance to see Shohei Otani and trying to decide if I can make that happen, if I should make it happen in my predicament of why I vacillate whether this game will work or that game will work. And we'll also talk some French Open, some drama between Novak Djokovic and Rafa, Coco Goff getting to her first semis. This will be exciting. Let's start with the NBA Finals. It's the Golden State Warriors trying to continue their dynasty. I mean, to me, the dynasty was never dead. You had a couple injuries for a couple of years. But overall, the dynasty is not dead. They are still very much alive. They have still very much built their team with draft picks in Steph and Clay and Draymond and Jordan Poole and James Wiseman, even though he's not playing, and then filling it with free agency here or there, where right now you got Andrew Wiggins and Otto Porter. And, you know, there are other players. But, you know, I, I, I marvel at what that team has done. I marvel at not only how good they are, but that they have sustained this level of greatness in the face of what I say is the biggest issue for any team trying to build a franchise. You cannot build it around your best player being the point guard. But Steph Curry is not a true point guard. Magic Johnson is not a true point guard. Magic Johnson was 6'9". 
he was able to play center the first year in his rookie year that they won the NBA championship, which of course I also was just watching when I was watching winning time. But Steph Curry, as the most prolific three-point shooter, he really is a shooting guard that has the ball in his hands the whole time. I would say Clay is more of a 2-3 because of his defensive abilities. But I digress. Steph Curry is the smallest player on the court, and that's where it really comes down to when I think about you can't have your best player as the point guard. And most of that stems from the diminutive one, the one who can get injured a lot. I've seen it firsthand with John Wall when he was trying to lift up the team and he get banged up. And, you know, it's hard when your guy is the leader on the team is also bringing the ball up. John Morant, you know, the injuries we saw this past NBA Finals. That's tough. The Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry as their winner. Already has three titles. But LeBron James and Kevin Durant overshadowed him in the MVP races. Obviously, LeBron James won the the title over the Warriors. And they gave the MVP trophy to Kevin Durant when he was there. Andre Iguodala got an MVP one year. AI2, as I used to call him when he was with the 76ers. But this year, this year, There's no doubt about it that this is Steph Curry's team. If the Golden State Warriors win it, then Steph Curry's your MVP. He's the best player on the court for the Warriors. And I also think when you look at this finals matchup, he is the best player on the court. I'd say behind him is Jason Tatum. Behind him is Jason Tatum. But you know, I mean, how can you not say Steph Curry is the MVP? He's a favorite on DraftKings at at plus 110, excuse me. Jason Tatum is behind him at plus 170. Jalen Brown, 1,100. Klay Thompson at plus 1,500. Andrew Wiggins is at plus 2,500. He's the X-Factor to me. I mean, Jordan Poole's an X-Factor too. uh, But I think you're not going to put Jordan Poole on Jason Tatum. And I think defensively, that is what you do with Andrew Wiggins as you put him on Jason Tatum. And he locked down Luka. So it's going to be a fun matchup to see what he's going to do, assuming the coaching staff of the Warriors decide to put him on Jason Tatum. But there's drama to these finals. Because if you remember Steph and the Golden State Warriors playoffs were in peril when Marcus Smart dove for a ball and rolled over Steph Curry and all the Golden State fans 
gasped at once when they were like, oh my gosh, you can't hurt Steph. And I, in my head, you know, when I talk about all of these moments, they're like, how did I not see that? This is kind of a, how did I not see that? Cause it was probably the most drama outside of Klay Thompson returning for the Warriors when Steph Curry went down. It was like, ooh, Boston, was it a dirty play? Steve Kerr wasn't happy with it. Boom, boom, boom. This is the rivalry that you want to see in the NBA Finals, and I think I'm all for it. It's going to be great. Now, as I go back to defense, because I pivoted there a little bit, a little bit, I think it should be Andrew Wiggins. But the key is, I feel like because Jason Tatum is not a point guard, Luka had a different responsibility in bringing the ball up. He had to get the motion of the offense going. Jason Tatum doesn't have to do that. So maybe that helps Andrew Wiggins in terms of getting in the foul trouble. But I think then you think about putting Andrew Wiggins on him. The Celtics may be the bigger team. With Al Horford and Robert Williams III. You know, you can throw Daniel Tyson there. You got Grant Williams. They're a bigger team. But I don't think they are better shooters. That's the key there. That Golden State at any moment can turn it on and destroy their opponents. Now they made a couple games where Golden State kind of mailed it in. I think they could have swept Dallas. They didn't. Okay, you could say Dallas just poured it on. But realistically, what you saw in that Boston Heat matchup is there were games where Boston couldn't do anything offensively and were getting blown out. I think at one point there were only like four lead changes in the series going into game six. It was a boring series. It was a, you could say a defensive series, but it really wasn't a, it's not like it was a defensive series and both teams were, you know, mano y mano on offense. No, it was like one team was playing well and the other team was playing awful. And if that happens for Boston in this series, then Golden State's going to win. Golden State is going to win if that's the case. The Warriors have home court advantage. They haven't lost in Chase Center. But the flip side is that Boston, they've won seven times on the road in the playoffs. That's amazing. That is simply amazing. And as I shift a little bit to the where they are, Ime Udoka, I'm so happy for him. I don't think enough is brought up in the fact that I feel like Brad Stevens gave up He felt like, oh gosh, this team is imploding. 
they're not listening. Well, maybe part of it is they weren't listening to him, but he smartly got bumped up to the front office, which is something that's rarely you can do. It's also, you know, we're celebrating all of the minority head coaches in the NBA. Uh, not many executives. Still not many executives. But bottom line is Ime, first year as a head coach of the Boston Celtics, he gets to the NBA Finals, and that's pretty exciting. There is a part of me that I do always think about. I can't quite figure out how a city that has been known to have racial issues has more and more minorities that win them championships, win the city championships from David Ortiz and going back to Bill Russell, right? Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. I don't know if sports can help Boston heal, but I just feel like, you know, in the heart of that town, they, they, they have some serious racial issues. And I find it ironic that, you know, okay, you had Tom Brady at the Patriots, yes. You had Larry Bird. I guess you say like Roger Clemens for the Red Sox, as I'm thinking of faces of franchises that are in Boston. But there are a number been there have been a number of minorities that have been the faces of franchises. And I hope the city will somehow and it's a shame that we're in 2022 and I feel like they still there's still racial undertones there. Sometimes you say overtones. It's overt too. That we've got to fix. But I digress. The Celtics have been the best team in the playoffs and the regular season since the All-Star break. And it shows. Here they are in the finals. The key quarters, the second quarter, Celtics have been the best second quarter team in the playoffs, 17 point two points per 100 possessions in the positive instead of the negative. The Warriors, they win the fourth quarter. But the Celtics have been good in the fourth too. The Celtics are 10-1 when leading after the third quarter and the Warriors are 8-0 when leading after the third quarter. Something's got to give. Jason Tatum, who I root for Boston because he holds a special place in my heart with my connection to him through Bradley Beal and seeing him in high school and Brad saying, okay, this is the guy you got to look out for. I was like, oh, for real? And it was good to talk to him and get to know him for a little bit while I was at Beal's basketball camp. And so was Tatum helping out Beal. And to think about where he is today is just an amazing, amazingly wonderful story. And as I look at where Boston is, there is no doubt that if there was any discussion going into this season as there was, 
And if there's still discussion about who is the top dog between Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, there should be no discussion anymore. This is Jason Tatum's team. If there's a 1-1-A, you could say it's Jalen Brown, but I'd say no, Marcus Smart played a big role. But Jason Tatum got the MVP down in Miami, beating the Miami Heat in Game 7, which I found just, I don't understand what happened to Miami. This was your chance. You got blown out at home in Game 5. You go up to Boston and destroy the Celtics behind Jimmy Butler's 47 points. I only want to be with you. Well, nobody wants to be with Miami if you can't win at home. And that was a homage to the commercials that Jimmy Butler's in on the plane where he's singing that song. And like, nah, I don't know where Miami goes from here. They just, there was no hero. There was no one else in Miami that showed up to me in game seven. Because they should have won that game. But here we are. Two non-number one seeds playing in the finals. They both have players who haven't been there. But the key is Boston has stars who have never been there. And that's going to be interesting to see how they are able to play. Now, game lines, game one, we got the Warriors favorite at minus three and a half. I like that line. I think the Warriors show they're the better team right off the bat. Right off the bat. But, you know, Outside of that, this is going to be interesting. You know, as I look at the the game props and their futures, I mean, there's a lot you can do here. The Warriors are favored at minus 150 while the Celtics are at plus 130. Funny thing is the Warriors are favored for next season too at plus 400. You want to take some odds there. Boston's at plus 550. But I think realistically, I do think that the Warriors win this. Now, how many games do they win this? Mm. that's a tough one I mean I always feel like as a fan you want the team to win it at home like if it was my team I want them to win it at home um, but it's it's tough to be like oh a game five I feel like oh man that means the series didn't go that far if they win in game five you know so from that perspective I'd like to see it go a little longer, but 
I mean, if you get to game seven, I'm like, man, then we get to a toss up. I think it really is going to come down to the defense that's able to be played against Steph Curry and Jason Tatum. I think you're going to have Marcus Smart on Steph Curry, which I think is the correct move. But I also could see if you wanted someone maybe a little bit more athletic, maybe not as tougher, but I almost, but I always feel like he's a little bit quicker. Maybe you could think about a Jalen Brown on Steph Curry and putting Marcus Smart on Klay Thompson since he's a little bit, I mean, they, they really know how to move the ball well. They do. But I still feel like there's a part of me that's like, okay, but Jason, Jalen, look, I'm going to call him Jason. Jason, Jalen Brown may be able to go around screens and hang with Steph Curry in his running more so than Marcus Smart will. And then obviously on the other side, Andrew Wiggins on Jason Tatum. That's the move. But I've got the Warriors in six. That's my pick. Warriors in six. And I'm sticking to it. And Steph Curry is MVP. You can book that as well. You can book that as well. And to finish winning time, and I have to admit that I came around to liking the show. Not for the reasons that I think we all went into it thinking that this was like a docu-series, but in episodic television. I liked it almost as if it was true fiction. I know the character names were real. But when you hear about the former players and the journalists um, that said, hey, you're taking liberties with with." real persons and their depiction of their portrayal of the person, i.e. Jerry West, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar specifically, they weren't happy. I hope in the end, maybe people will come around to feeling like, okay, it captured the essence my favorite storyline actually ended up being somewhat about Jeannie Buss. And what she went through at as an owner's daughter, as trying to find her way as an executive in a male-dominated place. I can imagine that is not easy. And then the other storyline that was really the sad one was Spencer Haywood. You know, to see that, yes, you know, he was with the Lakers when they won the NBA World Championship. He actually played for the Wizards, the Bullets, for a little bit. So he got his championship ring in 1980. But to see the demons he had to fight was really sad. I like the way that they were creative in, in the way that they put the show together. It was different. And sometimes even when I'm 
doing my productions, it's it's hard to go out on that limb and be different and not sometimes feel like you got to stick to the status quo of how you produce a television show or a commercial. It can go well, it can go not so well. But in the end, I really liked it. I really did. And um, there's some drama that I learned about behind the scenes about John C. Riley being selected and Adam McKay. And, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot that we probably don't even talk about, not just with this show, but just in general, that goes into television shows. But in the end, I thought it was a series worth watching. I thought the acting was good. I thought the casting was good. And I feel like a not not enough is given to casting and how hard it is to find people that not only can give you the personality you're looking for, but in but it, that it can look like the person you want them to look like. And I thought that Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes, they hit the nail on the head. Ah, the other people, okay. But realistically, Quincy and Solomon, I got it. Adrian Brody as Pat Riley, eh. I like Tracy Letts as an actor. Liked him more in Homeland. I thought Sally Field was really good. But the other thing is that I don't have a picture of who some of these characters and the people are without knowing them in real life. Like I know Tamara Tomakili does not look like Cookie. And I'm okay with that. But John C. Riley as Bus. Okay, yeah, I guess so. Jerry West. I thought the Claire Rothman character was really good too. I don't know if she looks like in real life, but I, I like Gabby Hoffman's ascension. And I like the, the the inner workings of the drama and the emotions that John C. Riley showed as Dr. Jerry Buss and what he went through. Well done. Just in the end, I, I got to give it his props. I got to give it his props. It was It was very good. Now, one situation that I don't that I don't think is very good, and I think it's going to be very difficult to try to understand how to come to grips with it, and the future of sports as it relates to transgender athletes, and specifically trans women athletes in this case, is former UPenn swimmer Leah Thomas. Now, it's been a couple of months since she was the first transgender athlete. She won her Division I National Championship. And in, a, in, a, in, a, in an interview with ABC News and ESPN exclusive, she hasn't talked about it since winning the championships in March, and she wanted to talk about it. 
And here's some of her quotes. The biggest misquote, the biggest misconception I think is the reason I transition. People will say, oh, she just transitions, transitioned so she would have an advantage so she could win. I transitioned to be happy, to be true to myself, end quote. I believe that. That is the best quote she could give, and I don't think she needed to give any more. I think Leah Thomas, I believe her, and that's that. But of course, she got national headlines when she switched from the men's team to the women's team for the final season. And she destroyed everybody. Fastest time in the 200, in the 500, won the freestyle. Like she didn't win everything. So let's not act like she won everything. That's where the issue is. uh, A former swimmer at Kentucky, Riley Gaines, said, quote, what are we trying to protect? If our priorities are fairness, which it should be in sports, why are we completely neglecting that that for one person or a small group of people? Because in the end, that's not what this is about. It is about respecting the integrity of the sport for the women and men that participate them in them. And I think it scares people that a transgender athlete switched from a men's team to a women's team and just dominated. Is that where we are headed? And how do we fix it? How do we keep, it happened in the Olympics and they banned an athlete from the Olympics and I'm sure she wasn't the first one. Oh, you look too big, you're too strong. I think you're taking steroids or whatever the case may be. In this case, Thomas began hormone therapy in May 19, May 2019 after a sophomore year to begin a medical transition. The NCAA required 12 months of hormone therapy to become eligible for competition. Well, Leah had already gone 30 months of therapy. And I think the issue is that this is going to be hard to regulate. This is going to be hard to govern. This is going to be hard to know if someone, the next person, greed makes people do crazy things. Fame makes people do wild things. While I believe Leah Thomas, there's someone out there that's like, I want to be the best. If I can't be the best as a man, maybe I can be the best as a woman. I'm going to do it. We saw it in the movie, Joanna Man. Fiction 
becomes reality. You've heard that before. Reality becomes fiction. The worlds collide. The gray area starts. And that's where the NCAA has to get a handle on it. They also interviewed Nancy Hogshead Maker, three-time Olympic swimming gold medalist and founder of Champion Women, who said in March, we always look for win-win solutions, but when it comes to transgender women's inclusion into the female category, we need to prioritize fairness for biological women in sport, a category that is for half the world's population is worth defending. Only then can we talk about ways to include transgender men and women, ways that respect everyone with all their differences and that and that don't harm biological women. Because it's happened on both sides, men and women, right? A woman can decide, well, I'm a man now. And if they so choose to compete in an event, by all means. The hateful attacks are wrong. Leah Thompson is competing as Leah Thompson. She went through the transformation. And when people are scared about the future, sometimes you can lash out in anger. You can have emotions that get in it. We all do. And that part of it, is wrong. Don't lash out at Leah, but you can think about what that means for the future of transgender men and women as it relates to sports. And you should also think about it as it relates to life. We're all people. And speaking of what's happening right now, live, life, as I mentioned, I would talk about the French Open. Nadal and Novak Djokovic are going to face face off. Alcaraz is still alive on the men's side. Coco Gauff beats Sloane Stevens to reach her first slam semi. This, this is going to be fun. I have watched some of the French Open, not as much as I have in the past. I don't quite feel like I know why. Um, I enjoy tennis. As I'm recording this, Novak and Nadal are going to be playing later today. Alcaraz will probably have won or lost by the time I finish. Five set matches. That's a lot. But I think realistically what's happened with me in tennis, like if I have to go to an event, 
And if I'm going to, you know, as I talk about my bucket list of going to see all of the Grand Slams, I'm probably going to go on the first day. Not a finals. I want to be able to bounce around, see some different players, see some different matches. That's what I want to see. We've got some unheralded players on the women's side. Trevor Sands in the finals against Coco Golf, who I think most people probably say didn't know she could get there, but she has. But Trevor Sands, the one who's like, wow, where does she come from? On the other side of the bracket in the quarters that are happening on June 1st, there's still seeded players alive. Swiatek, Pagula, Kudermatova, and Kostakina, Kasatkina are still alive. So I feel like when you kind of when you kind of have some names you don't recognize, you're kind of like, eh. And even on the men's side, the big match that I want to see is Novak Djokovic and Rafa. That's the match. I mean, I, I, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I said maybe Casper Ruud. He's still alive in the quarters. We'll see what happens there. A couple, one unseated players, and Rune is still alive. But I wanted to see Jovac, Novak Djokovic. I mix mix his name together and the doll to in the finals, and we're just not going to see that. So we'll see what happens in the quarters. See if Alcaraz can unseat whoever wins between these two. And I imagine that'll be your finals winner, but who knows? Maybe Alcaraz, if he can beat Zverev, will be tired by the time he's beat these juggernauts and Zverev and Djokovic or Nadal. We'll see. But I'm going to pay a little bit. I'm Now I'm in it. Now I'm in it is what I want to say. And I hope you can find yourself in it too. Hopefully you can find yourself in it too. And if you get some time, watch Winning Time. Especially NBA Finals are coming up, you know. Winning Time was about that first season with the Lakers. So check it out. And that'll do it for Just for Sport. I'm Jaboke Davis. Ciao for now. Are you looking for a better way to play player props or daily fantasy sports? Well, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the leading over-under daily fantasy game. Why? Because it's so easy to use and win. You can make your picks in under 30 seconds and win up to 10 times your money in one day. Right now, we have a special offer for our viewers and listeners of the Just for Sport podcast. All you have to do is sign up now and use the promo code J for Sport, and Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Yep. That's right, they'll match your first deposit up to $100. So, join the over 150,000 others who found a better way to play and download the PrizePix app today.